0: Welcome back to Mass Live's Fenway Rundown Podcast. I'm Chris Catillo, your host today. A little something different on the show. We asked you on Twitter to send in your mailbag questions, so now we're going to answer them. Pleased to be joined by Joey Alberti, who's been producing the show for us for the last few months. He's been doing a fabulous job behind the scenes. Good to get him in front of the mic, something that you're going to probably see him doing more of as we go on, and then you know a lot more of as his career takes off. So um, he's going to be kind of asking me what you guys asked on Twitter. I'll be doing my best to answer. And, uh, so, uh, buckle and enjoy. Second episode of the week, you heard from Zach Kelly from the Red Sox the other day today, we're going to do something different, uh, something new. Uh, we're going to kind of flip the script a little bit. And instead of really hosting, I'm going to kind of be the guest, so to speak, we have, uh, making his official, I think on air debut, Joey Alberti. He has been uh, producing our show for a while at mass live and has done a great job. Um, and so, you know, Joey, welcome to your first Fenway rundown. I'm sure this is a moment you've been waiting for for a while.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited to, and I think it's good to finally get you on the other side of the interview. Yeah, I don't know about that.
0: We'll see how that goes. <laughs> what we're gonna do today is a reader mailbag, listener mailbag, Twitter mailbag, whatever you want to call it. We've asked for questions on Twitter. We've gotten a bunch of them. know, uh, Joey's gonna go through some and, and read. Um, what a lot of people have asked from home and I'm going to to the best of my ability you know give you the answers from uh, what I've kind of learned and gleaned covering the Red Sox for the last year and um, you know obviously a lot to get to a lot of questions about Devers and different things they could do so um, we appreciate all the questions and Joey you know take it away.
1: I want to start with the person who I think was the first to respond to your tweet out of respect I feel like that's fair enough and that was Dan Johnson. Okay. And they asked who is your number one target for the Red Sox that is currently outside of the organization this off season? Yeah, that's a good one.
0: Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of different ways this can go, right? You hear a lot about Aaron judge. You hear a lot about, you know, maybe Jose Abreu as a fit. You hear about all these different starters Radon, whatever it is. In my mind, I think they take a big swing at Edwin Diaz. You know, I think the Mets are going to try their best to retain him and to try to, um, you know, probably break the record for the biggest deal ever for a closer, but Bullpens a huge area of need for these Red Sox. We know that. I think it's against Time Bloom's MO to invest a lot of money into the bullpen. I think that that's something that would be a shocking move. But if you're ever going to do it, this is the guy to do it for. You know, you could probably head into next year with, let's say, Diaz as your closer, Tanner Houck, Matt Barnes, John Schreiber as kind of the setup guys. To me, go and throw the bag at Edwin Diaz. You get the song. You get Timmy Trump to come along with him. I don't think they're going to actually do it. I think they'll end up being outbid, especially by Steve Cohen and the Mets. But to me, that's the guy.
1: Prediction as to whether the Red Sox will be over or under the luxury tax in 2023.
0: Yeah, I think that they're probably going to be over. You know, I think that they they did that this year. Uh, I think it was a mistake to go over. They probably should have made some deals at the trade deadline to um, get under. They're going to kind of, you know a little hurt by that in the offseason right if any of those guys sign any of the qualifying offer guys sign elsewhere they're going to get lesser compensation the the clock's already started on luxury tax penalties for the future Uh, at this point you know once you're over the first year it's easy to go over for the second year and they have a lot of room to spend you know as chris smith wrote the other day they have about 120 million potentially coming off the books i still think they could exceed that right if you go for you know if they are able to get a bogarts deal done which i'm sure we'll talk about if they're able to get a devers deal done which i'm sure we'll talk about Those are the types of things that, you know, are suddenly pushing that number up in addition to any big addition. So I'd guess they're over. Um, You know, it's funny. They get criticized three years ago for trying to get under, and now we're criticizing them for going over just, you know, the franchise in different spots. And um, I actually thought it made sense to go under a few years ago. Now it doesn't make so much sense to be over for a losing team last year, but um, I think they're going to be aggressive. I think they need to be, as we talked about with Julian last week and other people on here in the last few weeks, I think, now, they need to be aggressive to try to be relevant again, and uh, that's going to require spending some money.
1: Yeah, that's that's very valid. This next one comes from Mark Polymeropoulos, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's verified on Twitter. Um, so I guess well, he's someone. He
0: not, maybe not for long if he doesn't pay those $8 per month or whatever <laughs> Elon's asking us to
1: do. Oh, yeah. A whole other episode. Twitter blue. That is a whole other episode. So this is a three-part question, but they're all, fairly kind of quick. So any chance the Red Sox sign Chris resign Christian Vasquez have the Red Sox given up on Bobby Dalbeck and is judge getting judge just a pipe dream.
0: Yeah. Mark is, has been a follower for a while. So appreciate mm-hmm. the question. I think first of all, I think the, uh, the Vasquez thing, he's obviously in the news today after catching the combined no hitter last night, second catcher ever to do that. In, in the world series after you know, Yogi Berra caught Don Larson about a hundred years ago, I think there is a chance. You know, the indications I've gotten are that if he's available on a cheap deal, the Red Sox could look to bring him back. I don't think he's going to be your, you know, start 120, start 130 game guy going forward, but could definitely see him platooning with Reese McGuire and having Connor Wong as insurance. Wrote that earlier in the week. I think it's definitely possible. Have they given up on Dahlbeck? Probably not. Um, not in terms of like they're not going to probably release him or DFA him or anything like that. I think they could look for a change of scenery deal for him at some point over the winter just because. You know, you want Tristan Casas to be playing as much as possible at first base next year. You still have Eric Hosmer on the roster. you got to figure out that situation. If you sign somebody like Jose Abreu, you know, maybe somebody of that ilk, kind of a right-handed bat to DH and, you know, play some first base, obviously that probably closes the book on Dahlbeck. But I think they know what they have in that player at this point. He can give you pop. He can get hot. But he just, you know, can't hit major league pitching at a consistent level. He's not a great defender at first base. So, you know, I think they're going to try to include him in a trade, see if there's any value at all. Um, if there's not, then, you know, it will be interesting to see what he is heading into spring training. Same thing happened a couple of years ago with Michael Chavis. I think they're following kind of, you know, similar paths. You saw what happened with Chavis. Didn't make the team out of spring training. Spent a lot of time at AAA, kind of like Dahlbeck at the end of last year. Ended up being traded in a small deal for Austin Davis at the deadline. In terms of judge, uh, probably just a pipe dream, I think. They're going to probably, you know, give him an offer. They're going to try to see if they'll talk to him at all. If not, just to drive the price up for the Yankees, I think that's a really real thing. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the Giants, the Mets, the Yankees—they seem more motivated than the Red Sox or a lot of other clubs to get that deal done. And um, it just doesn't seem like a Heim thing to do. We just talked about this with Edwin Diaz. That doesn't either. But for a guy who's going to get that much money with that body playing the outfield, it's kind of tough to envision. But you know, the Red Sox do need power. They do need outfield help, and they do need a splash. You know, they need a splash, and there would be no bigger than
1: him. This next one is from Mike Rideout. Red Sox make any attempt to trade J.D. Martinez before the season when everyone needed a DH. It was pretty obvious he was fading, and Schwarber would have certainly been an upgrade.
0: Something I wrote about the other day. That's a great question. I think they should have. Um, I'm not sure if they did or not. Um, You know, I'm sure that they they tried – in certain ways and just found that, you know, there wasn't much value. You know, he's a guy that was entering his age 34 season. You know, if you looked at JD's season last year, the first April, the first month, April or so, you know, kind of similar to 2022, but in 2021, he was really hot early on. And then for the last four months was not very good. You know, you saw him, you know, toward the end of the year dealing with some nagging injuries, things like that. Um, you know, I, as I wrote, there were people with the Red Sox that were hoping he hoping he was going to opt out a year ago so they could go after Kyle Schwarber because they didn't think both of those guys could coexist on the roster. At that point, you know, it comes down to you know if you're if you're motivated to trade him, you can probably do it, right? You either attach a prospect, which does not seem like a Bloom thing to do, or or pick up a lot of that money, a lot of the nineteen plus million he was owed. Clearly they were not able to find, you know, the balance with another team where, you know, at a certain point, if you're going to pick up 17 million of JD Martinez's deal, they have him play elsewhere, 15 million. What's the point of that? When he can still, you know, provide that bat in the middle of your lineup and give you, you know, the behind the scenes stuff of helping other hitters. And he's been a great signing, all that stuff. So um, I'm sure they tried at times, you know, they just, the offers were not that high. Um, I think that was the case of the trade deadline too. In a perfect world, they would have traded him, got under the luxury tax reset there, but, it didn't come to fruition, and you know, there's a lot of hindsight now. With we, we're seeing what Kyle Schwarber is doing on a nightly basis, and um, kind of a lot of second guessing going on there.
1: This next one is kind of a mixture of questions because I think a few people, of course, a lot of people, I would say, are interested in what is going to happen with Rafael Devers right. because we don't know. The question, in essence, asks. What are the what percent chance do you think the Red Sox have in getting a deal done with Devers before this next season? And if so, what does that contract look like?
0: Yeah, it's the million dollar question. You know, I think as we talked about with Julian a week ago, uh, last week, things were really heating up, but only on Twitter. You know, I think there was a lot of talk that, uh, oh, could this be getting done soon? All indications, as I reported, as Alex Speer reported, were that, you know, I think that people are getting excited a little too early. You know, I do think they're going to be aggressive. I do think they're ultimately going to, you know, make a big offer. Um, But if you're Rafael Devers, there's no reason for you to sign that now because you have, you know, time. Why not, you know, sweat them out until spring training when these types of deals really get done. Um, You know, I think they're taking a patient approach. He's a year away from free agency. Why not, you know, try to, you know, see how crazy they'll go with that offer. And John Heyman, you know, the other day reporting, they're still far apart. In extension talks, which makes sense, you know, Devers is rightfully shooting for the moon, the Red Sox probably aren't there yet, it doesn't mean that they won't get there. I actually think and, and a few other writers that I've talked to about this do think a deal gets done. Um, I wouldn't guess it happens in the next couple of weeks, I wouldn't have guessed it, it happens, you know, in November, December, I think that February, January, February, March timeframe is really when we're always looking at for these types of things. Um, so I'd say I'd give it a a 65% chance of getting done overall. That's a gut feel. That's, you know, just, you know, just based on kind of what I know and what I know about what the Red Sox want to do. Um, just because I think that they can't let these guys keep walking away, you know, and they know how much this guy means. They know he wants to be here. I think that probably gets done at some point. In terms of money, you know, that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, the, uh, probably more than a third of a billion dollar question, you know, like we're talking about, you know, is it, you know, 10 for 320, is it, you know, is it eight for 300? Like what, what are you going to give in terms of years in terms of, in terms of average annual value? Um, you know, one thing I know is that eight for 168 deal, they talked about, you know, that, that deal, um, when they were trying to compare them to Olsen uh I don't think that it's going to be anywhere near that I think it'll be much more so um I think there are concerns about Devers positionally moving forward as much as they say they like him at third base and he has made strides there I think he's probably either a DH or maybe a first baseman moving forward you know obviously still 26 so there's time to tell uh, figure that out um but yeah I do think it gets done I think if it does it's, it's later later in the winter um you know, the Red Sox, I've made it clear, they want Bogarts and Devers on this roster. You know, they said that about Mookie Betts. At the end of the day, Mookie Betts decided he wanted to probably go elsewhere and he forced the Red Sox hand. I believe that fully. Um, with these guys, you know, they can prove that that's not a, a trend. And they can prove that, you know, these guys are, um, you know, mean a lot and that they want to keep their homegrown stars. And for that, I think they're going to be, you know, pretty aggressive in trying to get not just Bogarts, but definitely Devers back
1: as well. Well, then let's shift over to a Xander Bogart's question. This one coming from Stan Jaskiel. He's a- asking if Xander walks, do they go for another big name or sign a cheap alternative, knowing that Marcelo Meyer is probably less than two seasons away.
0: Yeah, that would be, uh, that's a kind con- contingency plan that the Red Sox have definitely thought about, even though they don't want to, I think Xander Bogart is their clear priority at the position. I think there's a lot of ways they could go there, you know, um, it's tough to let Xander walk away all that production, you know, all that kind of certainty up the middle and not go sign someone else. I think Dansby Swanson makes a lot of sense. You know, Trey Turner's obviously out there. Carlos Correa has a lot of Red Sox connections, mainly Alex Cora, the player they know very well from going up against him for so many years. I think any of those three guys could fit. Um, But, you know, Xander Bogarts is plan a, the one wild card there obviously is Meyer. I think that he is a guy that they think is their shortstop of the future. Um, but they're not too worried about that in terms of, you know, that's a good problem to have. If he comes and he's ready in two years, you can find a spot for talented players, you know, who, who's to say what Trevor store will be doing at that point or how the rest of the infield will work out. Um, I think that Trevor store moving back to shortstop, there's a tiny possibility of that. And then, you know, having someone else shift into second base, I mean, their, their options are completely open. They don't want those to be open in a few weeks. They want Xander Bogarts to be in a Red Sox uniform. So um, those are all kind of, you know, either it's a good question. There's a lot of you know, possibilities out there, but uh, they just want Bogarts right now. Um, And if that doesn't happen, they'll talk about other things. But, um, you know, I think they're in the back of their mind, but they don't want it to be in the front of the mind because that means Bogarts is elsewhere.
1: John A. Kane. Asked a couple good questions. That's that, I'll get that, that the... big daddy Kane 66, who is a, uh, <laughs> yeah. who is a, a, a
0: big time family friend, former little league coach. And uh, good oh. to see, good to see North pro mass representing heavily in the questions here.
1: Yeah. He, he had two, two pretty good ones, but I'll he start. Did.
0: Well, two times the... five, he had nine total.
1: So. <laughs> I'll start with the, the first set of questions. Are there any arms in the farm system that can make a positive contribute contribution to the Red Sox next season? And in what capacity? And could Walter make the leap to the big club?
0: Yeah, I mean that's. uh, I think we saw so many this year that next year it's a little um, probably less exciting, right? I mean, Bayo is going to be in the rotation, and he is uh, effectively, you know, still a prospect. Obviously, he he developed at the major league level, and we saw that play out in August and September, and he was really good down the stretch. He's your top pitching prospect still, even if he's you know lost rookie status or whatever that may be. I think Brian Mata is a guy that they're very, very excited about. You know, he came back from Tommy John surgery, looking really good throwing a hundred. The excitement is there with him maybe as a bullpen arm, you know, maybe as kind of a depth starter, you still see, you know, the, uh, the value of that. And I wouldn't rule out the guys that we saw come up and pitch this year, whether it be Josh Winkowski or Cutter Crawford, Connor Seabold, obviously those guys all ran into their bumps in the case of Winkowski and Crawford, they were also good for stretches. You know, there's talk about, you know, turning one or two of those guys into relievers they could contribute and another guy, you know, Walter is a good question. Brandon Walter, he's a, you know, a high a fast rising prospect who made it to AAA last year and then got hurt earlier in the season. They ended up shutting him down in June. He was probably on the track, um, but, you know, he's a guy that you got to see if he's healthy. You get to see what he can do at AAA for a little bit before he comes up. I think if you're talking about lefties, the one guy who could come up, Chris Murphy, he's kind of checked every box coming up through the system. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's the guy I look at, but, Um, You know, all eyes should be on Bayo. He's a special talent. I think he's going to anchor that
1: rotation for a long time. This one is a very interesting one from Scott H saying, why not make sale the closer if he's only going to give the Red Sox so many innings before he ultimately goes back on the DL again? Why not make those innings valuable ones? I think he'd be most most valuable closing out games
0: that's a good conspiracy theory. Uh, we talked about the conspiracy theory on here of him potentially opting out, uh, you know, giving that money back to the Red Sox. As I said, I put it at 3%, the 97% hit. We, so it was worth addressing, but not really more than 3%. Now, you know, as we saw, he opted into those two years and $55 million left in terms of being the closer. I don't think it can be completely ruled out just because, um, with Heim Bloom, the open mind is the main thing, right? Like he's always doing that. He's always a guy that wants to keep all of his options open. That's for sure. I just think that it's such a when you have you know, and he said something to this effect last year. When you have a guy who's proven in the past he can be a top of the line ace in the starting rotation, um, you know, for years and years and years, you have to exhaust that option first. Have they at this point? I mean, you, you can't really tell because he hasn't been on the mound, right? So, like, if he starts and is not good, then maybe I still think they want him, you know, to be in the rotation moving forward. The Red Sox think of things in terms of this. We want our most talented pitchers to throw the most amount of innings possible. That's why Garrett Whitlock is looking like a starter in the future. Uh, last year, I thought he should have been a reliever because he would affect the most amount of games and not the most innings, whatever we've had that debate a billion times with Chris sale. I do think he probably starts in the, in the starting rotation, but, um, you know, people forget when he was a rookie in Chicago, when he first came up, he was a dominant reliever for them out of the white Sox bullpen. So he has a little bit of experience doing it, but you know, that's a very expensive reliever too. You know, you're paying him, you know, 30 million a year to, to give you an inning. I don't know if they're going to do that. Like I said, there's also options there, whether it be how or Schreiber. Or uh, Barnes, or in that pipe dream we had earlier, Edwin Diaz. So it's good thought, but I, I say rotation to start.
1: Okay, Boston Boston Sports Gordo asked, oh no, not that one. Sorry, CJP asked, who is your number one trade target and number one free agent acquisition? He didn't really specify whether your number one preferred or your number one most likely. So I feel like that's something you should take in whatever direction you want.
0: Yeah, I'll go, I'll go prefer to just the guys that I would go get. Free agent, Diaz again. Um, I just think that that really just elevates this roster and shores up a, a place that has not been a good part of the roster for a few years. You know, since Craig Kimbrell left, they've been piecing it together in the back end. You think about Matt Barnes and then Brandon Workman and just trying to catch fire with certain guys. Tanner Houck, you know, they just on a whim this year. Um, so to me, I just think, you know, even Whitlock at the end of 2021, to me, just find a guy, lock him in. You know, I know that the analytics might not say that you want to commit a lot of money to the back end of the bullpen, but just th- if you watch the games, it matters. Um, in terms of a trade target, a couple guys, uh, Brian Reynolds in Pittsburgh is a guy that I think is probably going to be available. It's going to require a massive haul, but he's a guy that, you know, adds an element. It's kind of a five-tool element okay. to the game. Um, and if you're looking at a pitcher, you know, who knows if, if Cleveland would do this, but they might trade Shane Bieber, um, you know, I think that that's a guy that, it, you know, these are shooting for the moon possibilities, right? And Heim Bloom has never made those types of big trades where he gives up a lot of prospects for a big time controllable player. Um, and then the other one, I'll give you three. I'll go Bieber, um, Reynolds and a catcher, Sean Murphy in Oakland is the guy that would really solve the Red Sox catching problem. He's very underrated. I think part of it's because he has a, a boring plain name, Sean Murphy, but he's a guy that is going to be, you know, very, very, um, widely talked about in the trade market the Red Sox talked about him in July uh, before the trade deadline I think he's a guy that they could be interested in if if they don't trust the Maguire Wong duo and, and Christian Vasquez doesn't come back um, after his time in Houston so there's a lot of good good players out there on the trade market I think um, you know and I think that uh, they're in a position now where they can actually make a move right you know they have a lot of prospects they got a lot of depth built up and why not, you know, go all in with some of those guys and, um, you know, add via the trade market and free agency.
1: This one comes from Kenneth. He asked another two-parter. He, the first one is talking about Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock. And where is their highest value next season as a starter or in the rotation or as a trade asset?
0: Yeah, it's uh, one that the Red Sox have been asking themselves for the last year and a half. Um, For me, I like them both in the bullpen. You know, I know people at some point, you know, they want to get them in the rotation and especially the Red Sox probably think that they're going to be in the rotation. But um, to me, what Hauk and Whitlock give you in the bullpen is it's kind of, you know, especially on last year's roster, just very, very, very valuable. Um, So I would put them both in the bullpen. What I think they're going to do is put Hauk in the bullpen as your setup man or closer and put (laughs) put Whitlock in the rotation in terms of trade assets, I think Tanner Houck is a guy that, you know, could be moved into trade. You know, he's a very valuable um, young arm. He has proven success as a starter and a reliever in the big leagues. Team, teams love that. So I wouldn't be shocked, you know, if they went and got a big fish, if he was kind of the centerpiece there. Um, but, you know, he's proven also that he's been valuable over the last couple of years. And, you know, those guys, the fact they've been able to do both roles um, is something. So my prediction Whitlock goes to the rotation, Hout goes to the bullpen, but um, we'll have to see how the rest of the staff shakes out in the next couple of weeks before they make those calls.
1: The second part of that question is he wants you to pick one of Jaron Duran, Bobby Dalbeck, um, Connor Wong, or Jeter Downs to be impactful next season.
0: Yeah, those are four guys we saw a lot of in, in 2022 in the majors. Um, you know, I think Duran and Dalbeck fall into that same category of they might want to make a, a trade to try to get you know something back for those guys. Try to flip them, maybe change the scenery. Candidates. Connor Wong is my pick. I think that he, even if he's not you know you're one of your two catchers in a platoon, he's you know a, a valuable guy who's shown that he can come up, fill in. Um, I think they're going to try to get him probably some more um, at bats at second base and third base, a couple of positions he's played coming up especially when he's with the Dodgers before the trade he's a guy that is a major league bench player at this point you know he's proven that he can be um you know a major league bench player who can catch you know primarily catch which I think is very valuable Peter Downs is a guy I think that the the um the clock striking midnight on I wouldn't be surprised if he's DFA'd
1: let's go back to Big Daddy Kane now I think I want to I want to go to the first set of five questions he has (laughs) I think he has three three different tweets yeah. that are filled with, I think, three questions at least. He's a very so active tweeter, active as I've seen for the last decade. <laughs> Favorite ice cream at Ullman's? And then, and is Fenway ice cream better than Beezer's? I'll start you with those two to start.
0: Yeah, that's that's local central mass talk right there. Um, you know, we weren't a huge humans family. I'd say, you know, once in a while, let's go take a ride um, – not that it's far away. We were kind of more of a frap over ice cream group. Uh Fenway ice cream better than Beezers, yeah. Um, because it's free. So by default, um, you know, it's the ice cream stick, you know, People don't believe it. You know, I I post every home game basically. I post, you know, my soft serve and my Oreo and my sprinkles and all that type of stuff and people just think like I'm obsessed with it no it's just it's the convenience of it being there in the machine the fact that it's free the fact that it's you know summertime it's usually hot the windows open during the winter I am not I don't have a sweet tooth you know so like it just that's I get my fill on the 70 or so home games I cover it's probably enough for anybody it's probably going to take time off my life expectancy but um, it's not like I'm some big ice cream stand behind the
1: scenes here Life expectancy is okay to go down a little, I think, if it's if it means more ice cream. Right. I I mean, it's just it's a
0: it's a cost benefit analysis
1: for sure. (laughs) And then the next two in that tweet will Aaron Judge sign for more or less than seven years and will Chris Sale make more or less than 20 starts next season?
0: I'll take the over on both. I think Judge probably ends up getting eight years just because the market's going to get there. I don't think the Red Sox are going to go there, but I bet the market does. Like I said, three very motivated teams, the Mets, the Yankees, the Giants there. Will we'll Sale make more or less than 20 starts in 2023? I'm going to take the, uh, the probably at plus odds, the over here, just because you know, like, what people don't understand, and, and I understand, I understand as someone who's covered it very closely, what has happened injury-wise in the past. These are not lingering things. Tommy John, when you come back from that, there's bumps in the road, but then like you're fixed. Okay. The rib cage thing, freak injury, snapped a bone, it healed. The pinky gets fractured on the line drive. It healed. The wrist gets broken in the biking accident. It's going to heal, right? Like at a certain point, like those things are not, you know, like a shoulder where it's going to be really, you know, screwed up for a while. In the totality, is he, you know, as healthy and as as good shape to be a professional athlete as he was two years ago before these things happened? No, but it's the type of thing where it's like, you know, these are all kind of freak things that are going to heal on their own. The question is, will there be another freak thing or will there be another elbow problem with him, with everything that's gone on? Definitely can't rule that out. But, um, you know, the Red Sox have no reason not to look at it as, you know, he's a guy that can come back and be, um, you know, a, a... a guy in a rotation, you know, who knows what he's going to look like. It's a huge question mark. They need to add insurance. They need to add a lot of depth to kind of make up for the possibility that he's either not right or gets hurt again, but I'll take the over now, just because it's not like, you know, he's, he's probably got a clean bill of health for a full off season. Now, you know, like he, the wrist is recovered, the fingers recovered, you know, unless something else has happened that is going to shock us in the last few weeks as Bloom always talks about the Bloom or the, the Chris
1: sale voodoo doll, but um, yeah, I'll take the over. How much, this is just coming from me. How easily do you think people forget that he started 25 plus games for eight straight seasons?
0: Yeah, I think they do. You know, and I think it was just, you know, one of those things where, you know, he had that delivery that was wonky and it was kind of a ticking time bomb in terms of Tommy John surgery. And when the elbow starts barking, you start overcompensating with different areas. We saw that in 18, we saw that in 19 with shoulder stuff. And, um, you know, people also forget that there were injuries in 18 and 19 and, and before the Tommy John. So we're going on really, you know, five years of, of banged up now. Um, but like I said, none of those things are supposed to linger, but he was durable before. And, you know, he should be looked at the trade by the Red Sox should always be looked at as a win. The contract's a different story, but he has, you know, two years to, to kind of make that right. Two years at 55 million to uh, at least end that contract on a positive note. And, and, you know, with the type of competitor and worker he is, and and how dedicated he is. I wouldn't be shocked if that's that's what happened. You know, I'm not saying it's a certainty by any means, but um, you know, don't count this guy out, I guess.
1: We're gonna go with our third Big Daddy Kane tweet in our final, sadly. Okay. But this is another, this is five more questions right. in one. He packs so it all in rapid fire. He does. This one is mostly about road teams, so keep that in mind. Uh favorite road ballpark.
0: Favorite road ballpark, Coors Field in Colorado. I, if you've never been, it's amazing. It's not the one people always say. I haven't been to Pittsburgh or San Francisco, but Coors Field um, is incredible. In terms of favorite road city, uh, I mean, San Diego can't be beat. We'll be there for the winter meetings in a few weeks, and I think, you know, that's that's one that, you know, Petco
1: Park's great, but the city around it is, is amazing as well. How, okay, Side sidebar, how many of the MLB stadiums have you been to?
0: Uh, I always get this wrong because obviously the number is always changing. I think it's 25. I have not been to Texas, not just because it's a new ballpark. I had not gone to the other one before. Chris Smith loves that trip. Uh, so that's my only American League one left in the National League. Still have Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, St. Louis. So that's four. And then I guess it's it's I have 24 out of 30 is the answer. And I haven't been to San Francisco or Arizona. So now the schedule is, is changing. The Red Sox are in Milwaukee and San Fran next year. And um, a couple other places I need to knock off, obviously, Texas, like they are every year. Hopefully that number keeps going up. But um, we just need more Chris Smith paternity leave because that's when I really knock these things off.
1: <laughs> Keep having babies, Chris. Yeah, uh, To me, finish off Chris the Smith. tweet. <laughs> Best. Oh, no, sorry. Favorite restaurant on the road. Uh,
0: I'm not like a food snob. I just, I eat at the ballpark a lot, which is media dining, you know, goes back and forth from, you know, for different places. I think Yankee stadium the best. It's like a, a legitimate, you know, like restaurant for the media, which is excellent. Um, they do a great job there. So, you know, anybody interested in journalism go try to cover the Yankees because the food there is great. They also do have ice cream, just like Fenway, um, the best meal on the road. And this is, I have seen a lot of writers nationally be going to Reading terminal market in Philly, the last few days, because the World Series, there is a pastrami sandwich there. I'm blanking on the name of the place. Absolutely incredible. And that is a, you know, that's an absolute must-have every day I'm in Philly.
1: Best player to interview on the Red Sox.
0: Yeah. Um, glad I didn't ask the worst. Uh, I would say, you know, in terms of best, there are, this year was a good group of guys who really understood, you know, they were pros. There was a lot of veterans on the team. Bogarts is always, you know, accountable he's great he's been great the whole time I've, I've been covering the team obviously he was he was there before i started in 18 bogart is always an easy answer rich hill is uh, another one just a consummate pro i think anybody who's ever met him could tell you that um in terms of personalities, there's a few guys you know christian arroyo um you know is a good one so it was generally a good group there weren't too many um guys that that didn't really like talking and you know, obviously you know that's that's hard to say in a in a um in a down season. And I would tell you if that was the case, there have been years that I've been on the beat where, you know, it's been a more miserable bunch. So um, even if they have been winning.
1: Best opposing player or coach interview. <laughs>
0: if you asked anybody else on the beat, it would be Terry Francona who they all miss dearly. Uh, no offense to Alex. Cora was pretty good with us, but you know, they all miss Terry Francona. They love when Cleveland comes to town or we're there. Um, You know, we don't really do much of that, you know, because we're just, you know, we're always on the Red Sox side, I think. Um, That's tough, honestly. Uh, Correa actually is a guy who has a great reputation for that. I talked to him in spring training. You just see kind of when he's done TV in the postseason, he's a guy that, um, you know, is definitely great with great with the media. And, um, you know, that's even with the cheating stuff, people respect him just because he's so he's so, um, you know, smart and personable and nice and all that type
1: of stuff. And I want to go back to the ballpark eats and you said Yankees are the best. Are you comfortable with saying who you think is the worst ball has the worst ballpark food, the worst media dining?
0: Yes. Uh, I'm not comfortable saying who that is because I'm there 80 times a year.
1: I think that answers the question. <laughs> yes. that definitely interesting.
0: the question fenway concessions are like beyond me the fenway concessions just uh, there's when you go to see what other places have and um you know i know they've they've added some nice you know kind of areas and suites and different places in the ballpark with different food like it's just you can get really unique cool stuff otherwise in other places all around the country and fenway has not delivered that i always add the caveat that People let you know find lobster rolls of Fenway and always find that out of town, like they think that's the coolest thing ever and they're good. I have a bad shellfish allergy, so I can't partake. Maybe that's the difference for me, but you know, you you can get crazy, crazy stuff at ballparks all over the country. And Fenway to me just seems like Fenway Franks and Papaginos and and that's about it.
1: We'll finish it off with a question from Jason Smith and to kind of leak a little bit into the journalism professor in you best way to break into the sports industry with no relevant experience or education?
0: Yeah, that's a great one. Um, You know, the answer there is always like, it's not about getting a degree necessarily. I mean, I'm a journalism grad. You know, I was a journalism major at UNC. So I, you know, am kind of did that traditional path. But Really the, the thing is just doing it. Like if you want to be a writer, start writing. If you want to be a podcaster, start podcasting. You know, the, the biggest thing that stops people from actually, you know, becoming part of this field is that they just don't do it or they're they're too nervous to start or they don't know where to start. You know, find a place that's looking for writers or start a blog and write on your own. Um, and just kind of get reps doing it. You know, I always say anybody who follows me on Twitter even listens to the pod, you know, they're just is probably extremely annoyed by my love for Carolina, Carolina hoops, number one team in the country, you know, all that type of stuff. Right. But like no offense to the school that I love, but the stuff I learned in the classroom, the stuff doing that day to day was valuable, but it wasn't as valuable as the stuff I was doing, you know, on the side in terms of, I worked for SB nation, I was, you know, managing a team, writing stories, um, trying to break news, going to the winter meetings, uh, writing columns, writing opinion, doing radio interviews, like all that stuff. Like I was learning in the classroom. Okay. These are the things that might happen and how to react to them. And then in real time doing them. Um, and I learned so much just with those experiences. I think everybody I talked to in the industry, whether they work for school papers or different blogs or places they were at when they started, I think that that's really, you know, where you build your resume. You don't just build, you know, your, um, catalog of clips and and podcasts and all that type of stuff but you really kind of build those experiences and connections. So, you know, I don't want to steal from Nike. I don't know if I can do copyright infringement on the end of this pod, but just do it. If you want to break in, just, you know, find a way to start. Um, you know, people think it's a lot harder than it is, but if you put in the work, like, you know, the doors will open up, people will notice. Um, that doesn't mean that and it works for everybody. It doesn't mean that it's not hard. It takes years and years and years, but just start writing, just start podcasting and see where it takes you can't hurt. Amen to that. That's, that's all the questions, Chris. Well, I was a little Confucius at the end. I didn't know that I, you know, we we're going to get, get that deep, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, I thank thanks everybody for all the questions. I enjoyed this. Uh, even if I'm, I talk fast, I'm a little out of breath here, but uh, Joey, I, I uh, you nailed it. You know, you got the professional setup there in Amherst. We are, you know, we're going to do this more often where you're on, the, you're actually on
1: this side of things instead of behind the scenes yeah i appreciate that that it was uh it's fun to kind of go back and forth like this yeah for sure so next week we'll
0: be uh trying to do a couple more unique things i'll be in vegas for the uh gm meetings which is potentially going to be a disaster as it coincides with the start of college basketball season and access to sports books but you know uh, i might not come back if i do the fenway rundown will continue and uh, we appreciate you listening as always